gospel reading this morning is from the gospel according to Matthew, the first chapter, verses 18 through 25. Hear now the word of God. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but he had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today we talk about trust. We see in the story of Joseph trust embodied in a profound and deep way. I was thinking about trust and I would imagine all of us have had experiences in our lives and when we think about the very fact that we were doing them was grounded in an idea of trust. Sometimes trust that we didn't know if it was misplaced or not. When I think about trust, I think of two experiences I've had which require trust in someone I didn't know particularly well. And both of these experiences are rooted in the fact that we human beings are ground animals. We were created to live on terra firma, the earth. We are not aquatic. We can't breathe underwater. Nor can we fly. We are on the earth. Of course, we can fly in airplanes and we can learn to swim, but swimming is not our natural environment any more than the air is. I say that because I think about two times that I required trust. One was the first time I ever went fishing offshore, and the second was the first time I went up, which is also the only time I ever went up in a private airplane. The first time I went fishing offshore, I didn't think about it too much until I met at 2 in the morning at a boat landing with a friend who I was with, who I knew and trusted, but that was not his boat that I was getting on. It was his friend who I'd never met before. As we're pulling out and I see the land fade slowly away, I start to think of my, back to myself, I don't know how well this man maintains his boat. I don't know if his radio works. I don't know about all these things. And... And, and as I realized the land was gone, and it was dark, and when the sun came up, we were 80 miles offshore. And I had a, the thought, I don't know how much water is under me, but I bet it's a lot. And I don't know how long it would take the Coast Guard to get here, but I bet it's a while. And I had the thought, you know, I, I can swim enough to not drown, but I really am not a strong swimmer. Most backyard pools provide enough challenge for me. I don't want to imagine having to figure out what to do 80 yards off, the, 80 miles rather, off the South Carolina coast. 
But it was all right, and I got over myself until I'm crawling around on this boat. And I, I just what we were doing that day, at one point, I was hanging off the boat at the waist. And I had that thought again. Have you achieved trust? Because I don't think you have. And I was nervous, and I was not always comfortable. But And then as the land came back into view, I, I felt pretty good again. Maybe you've had an experience like that. Because I said, we're not aquatic animals. And, and the first time I went up in a, it's also the only time I've ever been up in a private airplane. It was at a previous church, and a couple who were members of that church invited a friend, which is always a good thing to do, to church with them. And I met him after worship, and you, you know, you talk to people, you try to build some sort of connection, and I learned that he let slip during that conversation that he was a pilot, and he had an airplane. So he came back to church a couple of weeks later, and I didn't have anything else to talk to him about. So I'm like, well, have you been flying much recently? And we talked about flying some more. And then, after that was on a Sunday, the next Monday, my phone rings, and it's him calling me, saying, I'd like to take you and your family up in my airplane. I said, well, that's a great idea. That sounds exciting. Nothing big. He was outside of Spartanburg. We're just going to fly from Spartanburg to Hendersonville, North Carolina, and land and get lunch and come back. And sounded great. And I got his address and uh, learned he had a four-seat plane, so my two-year-old daughter was not going to remember it anyway. So it was my son and, and, and Ellen and me, and we show up to fly. And so anyway, I made the plans to fly in this man's plane. The next thing I do is call Ellen and say, guess what? I got us a great outing on Friday. We're going to go up in this man's plane. Ellen goes, who is this man? <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, he's visited the church. Do you know him? I mean, no, but um, where did he learn to fly? Was it in the military or private lessons? I, I, I don't know. How old is the plane? I don't know. What kind of plane is it? It has four seats. That's all I know. I don't, I don't know anything. He has his own airplane that's in a shed behind his house pretty, pretty much. I mean, so we show up on the appointed day at the appointed hour, and it's really neat. This neighborhood was built sort of around a grass landing strip. There are people who built houses either side of the landing strip, and all of them had private hangars, which is code for big barn. Actually, some of them weren't that big. And 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 I just decided I wouldn't worry about it until this man and I have the front wheel of his four-seater Cessna on a little sled thing, and we're he and I are pulling it out of the barn. And I thought of thinking, do I really want to fly in an airplane that I can move with my own sort of strength? Is that something I want to do? And it was, you know, by this point I was just decided we had to do it. Harper was four, so he, you know, we told him it was fine, so it was fine, you know, the faith of a four-year-old. But as we're taking off, I kind of turn, he and I were in the front, Ellen and our son Harper were in the back, and I kind of turn around and look at Ellen, and she sort of has a look of concern. And as the wheels leave the ground, I say to myself, well, this man has a vested interest in what happens to this airplane, he being the pilot. <laughs> if he goes down, we go down. So um, I, I thought I'll just rely on his own self-interest to keep us aloft and safe. And, well, we're standing here and we're on, you know, everything was fine. But as we went off, I was mindful of the movie out of Africa. This one scene came to me where the Meryl Streep character and the Robert Redford character are, are taking off in an old biplane. And as they take to the air, she leans forward and says, when did you learn to fly? And he said, yesterday. 
kind of had that feeling. I didn't ask with too many questions. Just take off and land. Trust. Sometimes we just have to put trust in people that may not have given us any reason to trust them. I don't mean they've given us reasons not to trust them, but how much trust can you truly put in someone you don't know? Maybe have just met or never met. Liars. That situation after situation in front of us that requires trust. Today we see Joseph stepping into a situation that requires incredible trust. Let's talk a minute about Joseph. Joseph was from nowhere. If you've been to the Holy Land, you've probably been to Nazareth, which today is a modern city. It's a big city. But if you were to go back to the Nazareth that Joseph knew, the Nazareth in which Jesus grew up, it was a backwater. It was in the middle of nowhere. It was a tiny village, maybe less than 100 people. We don't know the size, but we know it was small. It was the kind of place where nothing ever happened and nobody ever went. Joseph was from a backwater. And he was also, probably by the scale of the larger world around him, nobody. He was from this nowhere place. And most people may have considered him an unimportant person by larger standards. So I'm sure his friends and his neighbors respected him. And obviously God thought highly of him because God was God. I mean, God anointed and chose Joseph to be the one to be Jesus' earthly father. We know he was a, a carpenter is the way we usually interpret his profession. Interestingly, just so I like people to learn a little bit, that the Greek word, and of course Greek is the original language of the New Testament, the Greek word is tekton, which can be interpreted carpenter, but it can also be interpreted depending on the context, applied to anyone who's a builder in the building profession. So maybe Joseph was a contractor. I like to think of him as a contractor. But, but so we'll say carpenter. But he was in the business of building homes, building things. He was a tecton. But it means he had a trade. It means he made his living by his work, by the sweat of his brow. There was nobody from nowhere and a regular job. Matthew does tell us he was a descendant of King David. But it had been a long time since David had been alive by the time Joseph was born. Twenty-eight generations had passed and somewhere in the neighborhood of a thousand years. I want you to ponder for a moment how much impact on your daily life does an ancestor of yours born a thousand years ago 28 generations ago, what influence does that person have on your life? Probably not much. David would have had, in the thousands if not millions of descendants, conceivably he could have had millions of descendants by the time you get to Joseph's generation. So he has this in his DNA that he just by accident of birth happened to be descended from a king. Actually, by the way, it wasn't an accident, but that's another subject. Nobody from nowhere. And then he finds himself in this situation. He's engaged to marry. Now, engagement is the word we use in the English translation, but betrothed might be a stronger word because it was uh, when an engagement happened, when a marriage was planned in that culture, it was 
much more than what we the meaning and the significance is greater than what we might normally attach to when we think of engagement in our culture when a person was engaged to be to another person when they were betrothed to one another it was not just we love each other and are going to get married there was business involved there were negotiations maybe between families there were business implications financial implications and once a betrothal was made and a ceremonially sealed that was it there was no we have a fight and aren't getting married so it, it was more than we think of as engagement but obviously less than the marriage itself and while joseph is engaged to marry his betrothed he discovers that he's she's pregnant and he knows that it's impossible for it to be his and Joseph finds himself in this understandably heart-wrenching situation. And he plans to dismiss Mary quietly, the scripture tells us. Again, showing his character. The Bible describes him as a righteous man that he could have made a big issue of this. He could have taken Mary's family to court. He could have done all kinds of things that would bring her public disgrace and maybe even legal punishment. But instead, he makes plans to, as Matthew says, quietly dismiss her. But then the angel appears to Joseph and says, don't do that. This child that Mary is carrying is not because of any betrayal that she's done. It's because of how wonderful she is, that the child she carries is the Son of God, is the Messiah, is there by the miracle of the Holy Spirit. So marry her, Joseph, and raise this child as yours. And name him Jesus. And Joseph responds with trust. He trusts what God says through the angel, and in trust he follows through. But imagine the gossip. Imagine the risk. Imagine what the trust it would have taken Joseph to know that this wasn't just a dream, that it wasn't just the result of eating spicy food before bedtime. Imagine the trust it would have taken Joseph to hear the word of God and to respond to the word of God with trust. To say, yes, God, I hear what you're saying to me and I believe what you're saying to me and I will marry Mary and I will raise Jesus as my son and with me as his earthly father. Imagine the gossip that might have happened. Imagine what the neighbors said, because I bet most of them didn't say, can you believe this miracle of God today? Yet, we see jo Joseph responding in trust and consider the big job he has to do. I don't know about you, but before I undertake any big task or any big project, one of the last things I always do before I begin is think of all the ways I could fail. How many of you have, uh, when from your school days, were uh, before the night before a, a big exam or while you're writing that final paper, somewhere in finals week, you pull out your syllabus, you figure out what percentage of this of your final grade this thing is, and you figure out what grade you have to make to get a, to pass, or, or what grade you can as low as you can get and still make it be, whatever it is. I never took a class that I didn't do that, by the way. Sometimes before a, a momentous task, it's only natural that we think, 
shook all up. I get nervous before big jobs. I, for six years, I was part of the team that planned worship for our annual conference. That's the statewide gathering of United Methodists. For many years, it was held in Florence. It's coming back to Florence this summer, by the way. But for many, for some years, I was part of the worship planning team. And if you've ever been to worship at annual conference, you know it's a lot to do. There's a lot of people involved. There's a lot of moving parts. You're, first of all, you're leading worship in front of a few thousand people. And, and then you've got all these people doing all these things and how it all fits together. And the one thing I learned before I was on the worship planning team is that we're a lot of people with very firm opinions about worship. And they were happy to share them. And I can remember every year, all six years that I did it, right as we're getting ready to walk down the aisle with all the, the bishops and all the district superintendents and on and on and on, I would think, something's going to happen. I don't know what it is, but I know it's going to be my fault. Before any big task, it's natural for us to fear. Joseph would have had all that and more. You know what strikes me? That in the state of South Carolina, before you can buy a hunting, hunting license, you have to take a hunter safety course. Before you can get a driver's license, you not only have to take a written test, but you have to go on the road with an expert and to make sure that you can drive. And the state incentivizes you to go out and get professional driving training before any of that happens. Yet, when a baby is born... Some nurse just walks up to you and goes, here, wait a minute, you have a car seat, right? Okay, here. Bye, go home. As parents, those of you who parents maybe had the same experience where, you, you know, you count the fingers and toes, you do all the things that a new parent does, and at some point you look into the face of your newborn child and you say, oh, my goodness, what is going on here? I hope I don't mess this up. I've done that twice. Looked into the face of a newborn and said, I, I hope I do everything right. The, the, the feeling of the responsibility that you carry to raise this child, to care for this child, to turn him or her into an adult that does good things in the world. I imagine Joseph and with him Mary feeling that pressure. Only the child that they held was the Son of God, as well as their earthly son. I imagine that feeling of trust that it would have to take for Joseph to hold Jesus in his arms. Knowing that this would be Jesus, the one who would save his people. This is the Messiah. This is Emmanuel, God with us. I wonder if he asked himself, am I going to mess this up? Can I handle this? Joseph shows us what's right even when everything and everyone around us might tell us it's otherwise. Joseph models for us trust in God and obedience to God. Joseph shows us that a man from nowhere, a seemingly unimportant man, can still be important to God. And play an enormous role in God's plan of salvation for the world. Friends, no matter what you think of yourself. No matter how seemingly unimportant you might consider yourself. Or what the world around you might tell you about yourself. You are somebody. You are God's. 
And God, in all likelihood, does not have the kind of plans for you he had for Joseph. But God has a plan for you nonetheless. Big plans for you. God has things for you to do. The angel brought Joseph something that was difficult to hear. Joseph knew he faced ridicule by those around him, but he believed God's word from his messenger, the angel. Joseph was obedient even when it didn't make sense. His obedience helped pave the way for the universe-changing work of Jesus in the world. He models for us a profound and incredible degree of trust in his obedience to God's word. Maybe God has laid something on your heart. Maybe he's calling you to engage your faith in a new way or serve the church or the community in a new way. Maybe there's been something working in the back of your mind that you just can't let go of. Maybe something's been working on your heart and it doesn't seem to be going away. Maybe there's some issue or concern that's captured your imagination. And if there is, I would love to talk to you about any of those. But I ask you this morning, what do you need to trust God for? And what might God be leading you into? Let us pray. Oh God, you revealed through your prophets that you would come to us in the person of Emmanuel, Jesus, your Son. And that through him, we might know that you are always with us. Lord, we thank you for your faithful promises that you've kept to us. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, help us to believe that nothing is beyond your ability. Give us a sense of awe at the miracles that we see you perform each day. Enable us and empower us to hear and believe the words of the prophets and the angels and to bear this same good news to the world. Restore us, O oh God. Let your face shine on us. Lord, as time grows short, as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, let us not forget those who are in need today. We lift before you those who are suffering in body and mind or in spirit. And as you are God with us, be God with them, those we name before you in our hearts. Lord, we pray this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.